Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, Elixir 1.16.1 was released. So this is the point one part of the release. It's just a minor release. Really, when you look at the change log, it's just a bug fix only release. There's not even that many changes. They happen to be sprinkled around the sections of Elixir, like the core language, IEX, and Mix. Really, I looked over a few of them and it looks like just a solid, easy upgrade. Nothing like, I've been feeling this horrible pain and this is going to fix it for me. Nothing like that. Some of the things were around testing different scenarios and one of them impacted Windows. So just always good to stay up on these things. Yeah, I like that one of them is like fix string.capitalize for a single code point, like just for one, one little code point. <laughs> and then the other the other one, you ever notice how like you, you take a moment and like just realize what our domain language is? You know, like here's one of the items on the change log says, do not assume home is set. <laughs> and it's the dollar sign home. The dollar yes. sign home, yeah. <laughs> it's like just our domain language. Us nerds, you know, that live on computers know exactly what that means. But if you just said that out loud at like, you know, anyone else, <laughs> be like, we're talking about migrants here or, you know, vagabonds, you know, any anyone with that without a home or something, like just some some strange, some strange thing. Like, anyway, domain language is strange. I caught myself saying something at work the other day and I was just like, what? This this combination of words and sentence is just like so strange. <laughs> but like everyone's going to know what I'm talking about at work. Yep. No one's going to know what I'm talking about outside of it. All right. Next up, we got Herman Valesco. He shared another interesting tip. He shows how to use temporary directories in XUnit where the temporary path has the module name, test name, some random noise in there to make sure it's completely unique. And all that ensures that the tests that read or write temporary files can run asyncly and in parallel. So that seems like a pretty basic thing. And a lot of folks don't know, yeah, this has changed over time, but I think, you know, that there's XUnit has things built in and there used to be libraries that you'd have to use to like take advantage of this. So good reminder. Sometimes the things you learn five years ago just won't get unlearned. <laughs> this is a nice newish feature that I bet a lot of folks have forgotten about. And next up, we noticed some Bandit discussion online. Bandit being the cowboy alternative web server that's written in pure Elixir. So Thomas Millar upgraded cowboy to Bandit on a production service that he manages that does about 3 million requests per month. After the upgrade, it reduced CPU utilization by 20%, and request latency of static pages by 40%. While your mileage may vary, his app is all HTTP 1, all static stuff, so basically no live view. So, you know, depending on your site and your makeup and what kind of stuff you're serving, it'll be different. But others said in this conversation, hey, you know, I was really excited to try this out, but I'm just waiting for Bandit to have WebSocket support. And then it was pointed out, Bandit does have WebSocket support. So we thought this is a good time to just kind of bring this back up that, hey, Bandit has really come a long way. It really does appear to be production ready for most use cases, if not all. And it's just worth trying out on our own projects if we haven't given it a shot recently. 1.x now, you know, but they marked it as stable. Let's let's use it. But yeah, that just goes to reiterate my point earlier. <laughs> so things that we remember, we need to unremember them now. They're old news. Bandit does have WebSocket support now. <laughs> 
And speaking of old lessons that might be helpful to re-realize or relearn is that Philip Brown pointed out how easy Phoenix makes it to choose a different param to use for a struct in verified routes, right? So this is kind of a combination of things because verified routes are, are relatively new in Phoenix, but there is a Phoenix param protocol that you can implement. And I, I doubt that a lot of folks remember this. So by default, if you pass in something like the user struct into the verified route macro, the sigil, the ID will be used for the param in the URL, right? So you don't all, you don't have to like do user.id. I, th- I think I always do user.id. I just forget that that exists. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but if phoenix.param protocol is implemented for that struct, you can make it whatever you want, like user.slug or user.username or whatever. And so, of course, when writing the verified routes, you can be more specific if you need one. You know, like it, it can do other things. You can check, like if it's an admin to see if maybe you want a different, you know, parameter in there. I don't know. There's lots of flexibility there and everything that a protocol can really afford you. It's just a means of implementing the two param function in the protocol. So very nice reminder. Thanks, Philip Brown, for bringing that back up. It's always good to remember the things that I think this has been in Phoenix for quite a long time. Um, So if you didn't know that existed, go check out the docs. When I saw that, I was like, I hadn't really realized that I could override that. I'd known that uh, if I put in a struct, it's going to use the ID, but I hadn't really ever thought about or maybe something I just missed but that I could just override with my own protocol implementation for this specific struct. Here's how you should get the param. That was cool. I thought it was really elegant use of protocols. If I was consistent with all my URLs, I could just change it at one point and they would all be different. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'd break all those URLs out there in the wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You know, if our, our listeners are fluent in the Rails way, this would be as familiar as like, overriding two S, right, to string or two mm-hmm. params or two hash or something. So like, it's kind of like that. And next up, Andreas Alejos couldn't find a Kino for embedding YouTube videos into Livebook, so he made one. I thought this was pretty cool. It's really just kind of a fun thing. But I thought, you know, if you're creating educational content, like these are lessons along with code that you're going to be executing and running, then being able to embed and a YouTube video in there to give some instruction or explanation would be really handy. So it's really cool that he just created that and made it available. And we want to celebrate with Rene Fearing his 10-year anniversary of Inch. So he posted about it on Twitter. We got a link to that. And he wrote a blog post. Here's the TLDR of it is that Inch turns 10 today. And for those who don't know, Inch is a documentation analysis tool for the Ruby language, which is... Also applicable to Elixir because there is an inch X library, you know, that that makes it work for Elixir. I typically associate this with CI validations, right? So if you want to have some CI validations for when you're writing documentation or not, inch seems to be a tool that can help you with that, right? We have type specs. That's one way of documenting. But uh, there's nothing that's necessarily saying, hey, you got to write docs like good docs. <laughs> and that's where that's the void that inch fills. So if you're interested, go check that out. And hey, congrats on 10 years. That's a long time in software. That's ancient history at this point. So that's a that's a long time to be around. And congrats, Renee, for your hard work on all that. And we should just point out that Renee is the one who's involved with the Credo project. So you can see his interest and care about documentation or code the way it is and analyzing it 
goes back at least 10 years. Yeah. Fly.io. It's a great place to run Elixir apps. With many global regions, a private network that makes it easy to cluster your app, and a powerful CLI, it's something you should really try out. Experience it for yourself at fly.io. And next up, back in episode 185, we talked with Thomas Millar about his project called Instructor, or the, the GitHub project is Instructor EX. And so that was a, a really fun, interesting discussion, was, is talking about how you can coerce a large language model into forcing you to give JSON output, even though the model may not be totally set up for it. And he was using Llama CPP as the way of doing this, but you know, doing this with Elixir. Recently, Thomas gave a presentation at the Denver online meetup, and that video is available. So he just wanted to share that with people because sometimes, you know, seeing something is a whole lot easier to, to grok it and understand it than just listening to it. But uh, yeah, just wanted to pass that along, make you aware that if you're wanting to dig more into that particular library, he calls it Instructor, the Bridge Between Elixir and AI. So if you want to check that out, we have a link in the show notes. All right, well, that kind of wraps it up with specific Elixir news. But we do have mm, a pretty alarming news, like general news article that we want to share because we're all in the tech community and we tend to be more security aware. So I thought this this would be interesting to talk about. There are some unique modern dangers that are coming up <laughs> because of AI. <laughs> it's it's hard not to just laugh about this too, but there's serious like things going on here as well. So we've got a, a CNN article link here, but here's here's the TLDR of it is that a finance worker paid out $25 million after a video call with deep fa- a deep faked chief financial officer, right? So they were severely fished in this case, right? Like severely advanced and severely fished. So with that in mind, we wanted we just wanted to make sure people were aware of what point we are in in this new tech, you know, of AI and ML and video and human naivety, right? <laughs> it's just it's hard not be to not be uh caught by this. Yeah, so while we're all excited about AI and ML, it's just good to keep in mind that other people are looking at the same technology and immediately think, how can I use this to trick people or scam them out of money? From the article, I just want to highlight a few points just to kind of get a real picture of what was going on here. So the elaborate scam saw the worker duped into attending a video call with what he thought were several other members of staff, but all of whom, in fact, were deep fake recreations. So in the multi-person, it's like a multi-person video conference, Mm -hmm. it turns out everyone he saw was fake. (laughs) And and they're all like talking to each other and, you know, having this this explanation about why this is a needed thing that they're going to be doing. It's like, yeah. And then they're asking this person to make this action. And these are people that he sees, he knows them by name, he recognizes their voices, recognizes them, and was totally scammed by it. Because like originally, the financial worker was given a message which they recognized correctly as a scam phishing email saying it was coming from the chief financial officer. We need you to carry out this secret transaction. And he's like, oh, this is this is fake. But then when he got called into this video conference and he sees all these people he knows and they sound like them and and they're talking and then he he does it. Yeah, this was done out of Hong Kong. And when they were scammed, so it's like 200 million Hong Kong dollars, which is about 25.6 million US dollars. But they believed it was real. The article points out that this is 
One of the several recent episodes in which fraudsters are believed to have used deepfake technology to modify publicly available video and other footage to cheat people out of money. Just a heads up, if you hadn't already seen this article, just be aware that all the cool stuff we're seeing in AI and, you know, there's been a lot of drama and attention around deepfakes as like there's a lot been going on with like Taylor Swift and social media. It is a problem that can be used for good or evil. And there are ways that people are going to try and separate you from your money. Yeah. (laughs) Separate me from my money. Be aware. But a a very diplomatic way of saying stealing. (laughs) Yeah. A good reminder that evil does exist in the world. And watch yourself. In fact, this entire time, me and Mark have been deep faked voice cats. I'm just kidding. We're we're real. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.